195. Australia just need five, five runs. And you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? He's 195, Maxwell. A six to bring up 200. Everybody here's on their feet. And Maxwell Rex in his eyes. Hello and welcome to the Dilipram All-Rounder podcast. It's the 8th of November. It's 10.15pm and I've just finished work. I was going to upload tomorrow morning, which is when hopefully you'll be downloading this episode, an Arsenal and Barcelona recap with Sanjay. And I had that ready to go. And then I woke up yesterday morning and we just witnessed one of the great ODI matches we've seen in a long time. Surprisingly between two countries you wouldn't expect, Australia and Afghanistan. And I thought I had to recap that and had to have some fun with it. So we're doing an episode based on the World Cup and the match we just saw. For the last few episodes, I have bemoaned the death of ODI cricket. You would have seen it with my episode with Virosh, my episode with Sanjay. I've complained incessantly about this World Cup and the future of ODI cricket. But it's come back to bite me. The last week or two, we've seen some really terrific ODI matches. So in this episode, I'm gonna do three things. The first thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a quick recap on the Australia-Afghanistan game. Second thing we're gonna do, we're gonna play a, a new game. It's called Which DBZ Dragon Ball Z Character Are They? And we're gonna do that for each contending team in this World Cup and provide some observations for their World Cup prospects. And the third thing I wanna do in light and in celebration of Glenn Maxwell's innings is I wanna look at some of the top ODI knocks in history and see where Maxwell's innings ranks. So let's get into it. First things first, the Australia-Afghanistan game. My, oh my, what a bloody game. I'm not sure how many of you watched it live because when you think about it, it was a game you probably expected Australia to win. They had the stronger team batting and bowling wise and they were ahead in the points table. So you just would have expected them to win. But I thought when Afghanistan batted first, that was their only chance of winning because what we've seen in this World Cup is if you bat first, 75% of the time, you're going to win the game. And this felt no different. I thought when Afghanistan batted first, I saw that they are really coming in world cricket. They're a rising force. Their batting looks very solid. Gurbaz and Zadran are looking very formidable with bright futures. Would you believe it? Both of them are only 21 years old. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gurbaz. I think his batting, he's, he bats with aggression. He has a great mentality when he bats. And I didn't know much about Zadran. I thought he was the weaker of the two, but he really proved me wrong in this innings because he played with such composure, such intelligence. He, he really looked like an international cricketer out there. And he looked like a cricketer who's played for 10 years. And that's a, a great compliment I can give him. I thought the whole Afghanistan batting lineup played with a lot of maturity and they played like an experienced outfit. Ordinarily, you would have thought 
when a team like Afghanistan with limited ODI and test cricket experience loses a wicket or loses two wickets, that they lose wickets in clumps. That's usually what happens with a, what we call quote unquote, a minnow nation. They lose a wicket, they might be a hundred for one, and then it suddenly becomes 120 or 130 for five. But we didn't see that in this case. We saw that they had lost a wicket and then they batted in partnerships. And that was one of the big reasons why they were able to make 290, notwithstanding Zadran's beautiful 100, which was Afghanistan's first 100 in a World Cup. I thought Rashid Khan's innings at the end, in the last five overs, really put the icing on the cake. He batted with that experience that the IPL has given him, which was he came into a situation and he was able to just hit fours, hit sixes, and he took a score that was looking like Afghanistan was probably going to hit 250 to 260, and they ended up with 290. And a lot of credit needs to go to Rashid Khan there. It was a great innings. He not only is one of the best bowlers in the world, but he can really finish off an innings with the bat. Now, you knew once they put on a score of 290, my personal view was that that was going to be a very difficult score to chase down, regardless of the team. What we've seen in this World Cup, as I mentioned, is if you get runs on the board, you've got a strong chance of winning, as long as you get more than 250 on the board. Now, the Australian chase really reminded me why we love ODI cricket. ODI cricket is very different to test cricket and 2020 cricket. Now, we have seen a decline in the popularity of the sport, and that's by and large because people don't have the patience to watch a full day of cricket compared to a 2020 game. But the ODI cricket game allows, it's, it's more intense, it's more intense than a 2020 cricket game, and it allows for ups and downs in the game. You compare it to a 2020 game, if after 10 overs, you're halfway through an innings, and there's not really a chance for ups and downs and for teams to you know be up and then down and then up. The game finishes too quickly. Whereas an ODI game, you could be down and out, you could be back into the game, down and out again, and still win the game. And that's why I love it. And that Australian chase really reminded me why we all love ODI cricket in the first place. The score of 290 was just enough to keep Australia in the game. They didn't start well. They, the Af- Afghanistan bowlers bowled with great maturity. They bowled great lines, great length, and they looked like they were going to take the game away. When Australia was five down and then subsequently seven down for 90, you just felt that Afghanistan had a chance to really make this win count. Afghanistan's net run rate is not as good as Pakistan, New Zealand, and Australia. Had they bowled out Australia for, let's say, 120, they may have been in the lead from a net run rate perspective. So they had a lot riding on this game. But as long as Glenn Maxwell was at the crease, as an Australian fan, you still had some hope or some optimism that there was a chance. That's all you need. You just need a chance. If there's a 1% chance, Australian cricketers will always try and capture it. And that's what they did. This game reminded us So from an Australian perspective, it was hard to watch the whole game. A lot of us have work. I went to sleep after the first innings, assumed 290. I thought it'd be a great game. I'd wake up in the morning and be able to watch KO Mini and see a chase. I thought Australia would win comfortably. 
I woke up in the morning and I saw the score without looking at the scorecard. And I thought, wow, interesting game, Australia. They got home with some ease, three overs to go. And then I look at the scorecard and I see Glenn Maxwell, 201 not out. And I was shocked. I rewatched that innings on KO three times because it's an innings that you will never forget. It's one of the great innings. And in the third segment, we're going to look at some of the greatest ODI innings because I want to really put that innings in context of what it meant. He played with cramps. The bloke was out for the last game with a concussion because he was playing golf and suffered a, a head injury, I think, um, using a cart while under the influence. And he's had a rough 12 months because he's been injured. But Glenn Maxwell proved why he's one of the great ODI and 2020 batsmen because he can take a game away within a second. And that's what he did. I think a shout out has to also go to Pat Cummins. You look at his scorecard and you say, well, 12 runs, 60 balls, what credit can you give? But for every Batman, there's a Robin and Pat Cummins proved that all you need to do sometimes is just stay there. And if you stay there, that's the best support. And that's what he did. Will we remember this game in 20 years time? I actually think we will. And the reason I think we will is because we often talk about, you often dream about playing in innings when your team is in real strife. Often you think, hey, I scored 100 when we were seven for 62 and we chased down 201. That's what Michael Bevan was famous for doing. But think about that story or scenario and then times it by two. This bloke scored 201 not out from seven for 92. If that's not miraculous, I don't know what is and I'll leave it at that. I want to play a game and it's called what TV character are they? Specifically, what Dragon Ball Z character are they? So I'm going to go through the top six teams that are in contention and I'm going to give them a Dragon Ball Z character and explain what their prospects are in the World Cup. If you agree or disagree, let me know. But I thought it'd be some fun to compare it to a show that we all used to love and watch. If you didn't watch Dragon Ball Z, then this is not going to be much to you, but hopefully I'll give you some comparisons so you, when you watch it, ultimately, you know what I'm talking about. India. India is Goku, the main guy. Everything revolved around Goku. Even when Goku wasn't fighting, you wondered where he was. He wasn't there against Frieza half the time, but you were always looking at how he was recovering. Similarly, everything revolves around India in this World Cup. The World Cup's in India. India is the strongest financial cricketing nation. India is the favorite in this World Cup. If there's no Goku, there's no Dragon Ball Z. If there's no India, I don't think there's a Cricket World Cup. But now the question is, will there be a happy ending for India like there was for Goku? Yes, Goku beat Frieza. But he, didn't, he wasn't the one who beat Perfect Cell. It was his son, Gohan. Now the question for India is, can they finish it off in a semi-final and a final? Only time will tell. Australia. For me, Australia is Vegeta. Vegeta had a real hero-villain arc. 
He was one of Frieza's fighters back in the day. Only until Frieza killed his dad, King Vegeta, Vegeta realized, hey, I don't know if I want to be fighting for Frieza. Now, we used to hate Vegeta when early on in Dragon Ball Z, but then he really started gaining a bit of sympathy and we started appreciating him for who he was. Similarly, Australia is now on an arc where I think a lot of the world is appreciating how good they've become. They're on a six game ODI winning streak, but the question is, can they make it count? This streak reminds me of some of the great Australian cricketing teams from the 99 and 03 and even 07. Now, while they might not be as strong as those teams, this team can really make it work with their bowling Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, and a batting lineup that's got the ability to be very special, just like Vegeta. South Africa. For me, South Africa is Gohan. Gohan was the strongest fighter on his day. Similarly, South Africa could be the best team in the World Cup on their day, particularly when they're batting first. Now, Gohan needed to get angry to win. Does anyone remember when Gohan fought I think it was a second stage freezer and he was a baby back then but he got very upset at freezer and his power level went it tripled exponentially and freezer didn't know what hit him similarly when gohan fought perfect cell he was the only super saiyan who stood a chance now south africa like gohan need a few things to go their way they might need a toss they need to win the toss. They have to bat first. Because what we've seen is when South Africa bats second, they've got no chance. But when South Africa bats first, they look like a world beater, just like Gohan. New Zealand. New Zealand is Piccolo. The story of Dragon Ball Z can't be told without Piccolo. But when you think about it, Piccolo never beat any of the major characters. He was my favorite character. I was yearning for Piccolo to beat Frieza or Perfect Cell or Semi-Perfect Cell, but he never did. His story arc was just that he was there and he was good enough to give a fight, but he was never good enough to take it over the line. Similarly, New Zealand have always featured in World Cups and they've always been competitive. 92, a semi-final. 2003, they made the Super Sixes. 2015, New Zealand made the final. 2019, New Zealand made the final. Yet, they've never won a World Cup. Is this the time? Well, if they're Piccolo, it would suggest it's not. Pakistan. Pakistan for me is Tien. Does anyone remember Tien? Tien was the human. He wasn't a Super Saiyan, but he used, he had one move and that one move was the tri-beam attack. And that attack was one of the strongest moves in Dragon Ball Z, but that's the only thing he had. If anyone remembers, Tien had a famous fight against Semi-Perfect Cell, and he held Semi-Perfect Cell off so that the androids could escape. While he was dedicated, determined, and conscientious, he really was a one-trick pony. Similarly, and without taking offense, I think Pakistan's a one-trick pony in this World Cup. They're very reliant on Baba and Muhammad Rizwan, to some extent also in Fakhr Zaman, but if, they're more, if they lose two wickets in this World Cup, 
they're pretty much all out. So Pakistan rolls just like TN rolls. And the final one, Afghanistan. For me, Afghanistan is trunks. I was deciding between trunks and krillin. There's not really a perfect answer here, but I think it's trunks. Trunks was happy to be there in DBZ. He's Vegeta's son. He had a lot of potential. He was a strong Super Saiyan. Similarly, Afghanistan have performed remarkably in this World Cup. They've been a strong competitor, but they're not going to be the ones that are beating the big teams in the semifinals and the finals. And similarly, they're an afterthought just like Trunks. Look, it's not perfect. I've tried to mold some of these characters into the teams that I've suggested. If you've got a better idea as to who which characters might be more applicable to some of these teams, let me know. I've missed out on characters like Nail, Krillin, Yamcha, but I'm always open to feedback. I want to finish with this. In celebration of Maxwell's 201 not out, I wanted to look back and consider whether it is the greatest innings of all time, but I don't think this episode is the time to do it. It's never the time to, to make conclusive statements about innings one day after the, after the match because you're really living in the moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set out five other top ODI innings that I think form part of the picture, form part of the debate. And it might be in six months' time in one of my podcasts, I'll look at or I'll do a list of the greatest ODI innings of all time and I'll really rank them. But I want to give you five other innings to really celebrate and commemorate how important and influential this innings from Glenn Maxwell was. An honorable mention has to go to Michael Bevan. And it's an innings that you might not think about. Michael Bevan, in an unofficial ODI match, hit 185 not out of 132 balls against the Asia 11 in 2000 at Dhaka. Bevan took a rest of the world side captained by Mark Waugh to within one run against an Asia 11 featuring players like Sachin Tendulkar, Wazim Akram, Mutaya Muralitharan and Sanath Jayasuriya. The rest of the world team was set 320 to win and were out of the contest at 7 for 196 after 37 overs. But as we know from experience, that's the perfect time for Michael Bevan to lead a resurrection act. 119 for the eighth wicket, where he took the match into the final over. Caddick though was run out of the penultimate delivery and the rest of the world side lost by one run. But I wanted to give an honorable mention to that innings. 185 not out of 132 in 2000 was unheard of. Here are four other innings that I think would be comparable to Maxwell's innings. And now I'm not saying they're the same, but I want to shout them out. The first is Sir Vivian Richards. 189 off 170 balls to win a match at Old Trafford against England in 1984. In that match, Vivian demolished the English bowling attack to all corners of Old Trafford. And it's regarded by many as the one of the greatest ODI innings ever played. Vivian Richards was batting against the likes of Willis, Ian Botham, Pringle, and Miller. It's an innings that we won't see for a long time. And you have to remember, in 1984, 
times were different. Strike rates were different. Back then, a strike rate of 70 was regarded as aggressive. And here was an innings. In the first innings, he came in. West Indies, I think, were 6 for 90, 7 for 90, in a lot of trouble. And Vivian took them to a total where they won the game. Herschel Gibbs, 2006, 175. Now, this wasn't a World Cup game, but it was the final game in a best-of-five ODI series between Australia and South Africa and South Africa, and it was chasing 438. His 175 off 111 balls was one of the great innings you'll see. It was a smaller ground, similar to the Wankity Stadium, but it was a spectacular innings that will be remembered in time. Number three, Michael Bevan, 78 not out against West Indies, 1996. Look, you might say that wasn't 100, but you have to remember the time in which he was playing. Michael Bevan's innings came against the likes of Kirtley Ambrose and Courtney Walsh. The Australian team were in a lot of trouble in that game. The match was reduced to 43 overs given rain, and Australia was set 173 runs to win under the lights of the SCG. They were crippled the top order and were found to be 6 for 38 with only the tail left. And that's when Michael Bevan made his name. He marshaled the troops and wasn't perturbed by the wickets of Shane Warne and Paul Rifle and kept focused on that final total. And it ultimately ended up in a final over with Michael Bevan and Glenn McGrath playing. And Glenn McGrath has always said that his wish was to score the winning runs of Australia. Well, he, he didn't do it this time in terms of actually scoring the runs, but he was responsible for Australia winning one of their famous ODI matches with Bevan needing four runs to win off the final ball. The rest was history. It's one of the great fours of all time. So that's 78 not out of 88, I feel, is in the picture. Now, I'm not doing them in order, but I had Kapildev, his 175. Prior to Glenn Maxwell's innings, a lot of critics and analysts have said that this was the best ODI innings of all time. It was an unbeaten 175 that lifted India from 17 for five to a win over Zimbabwe in the 1983 World Cup. What makes this match even more special is that India ultimately won the World Cup. So people will remember the matches where India were in trouble and subsequently won. While Kapil Dev's innings was in the first innings, it's a still a remarkable innings given the time and the context. In 1983, you'd never expect a player to score in such an aggressive manner. But Kapil Dev's innings really shone the light on how strong the Indian team were at the time and the fact that they could bat one through till eight, which is a remarkable thing back then. Now that really sets the picture and context for Maxwell's innings. I think it's hard or it's really important to emphasize that 201 not out is unheard of for a batsman coming in, let alone a batsman not opening the innings. Maxwell was the first non-opener to make a double hundred in an ODI. Just think of that. It's the highest individual score for Australia in an ODI. It's the third double hundred in men's cricket World Cups. And it's the highest partnership for a seventh wicket or lower in a men's ODI. I'm sure there are 500 other stats that I've missed, 
but that gives you a flavor and a sense of what he did and his accomplishment. Let alone, I haven't even mentioned the cramps and the fatigue and the 40 degree heat and the humidity. This all really built what is regarded by many as the greatest ODI innings of all time. Whether it is, perhaps we can decide that another day. But we really need to give credit to Glenn Maxwell. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. As mentioned, if you are enjoying the episodes, please give a like to wherever you're listening to them. If you're listening to them on Apple, Google, Spotify, give it a like, give it a subscribe. Keep listening to my podcast if you're enjoying it and I'll keep delivering the content that you look forward to. See you soon.